Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to continue in our study of the gospel. And my hope, as I was encouraged by my dearest last week, is to try to make these sermons on the gospel uniquely different from each other. And I hope that we have not been a bore in our study on the gospel. This is, by my count, the 22nd message on the gospel. And we find ourselves again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll be looking at verse 18 in particular. Uh, you know that for my 10th anniversary that Rachel and I went to the city. And when we went to the city, we went prepared because we were going to stay for a few days. And we brought our hockey skates to ice hockey and we were going on dates. So we brought, you know, I brought my suit and things like that. So we came with a lot of baggage and you can imagine it was quite a humorous scene to see uh, us with big luggage. I thought that we would just, you know, walk from Penn Station to our motel, which really wasn't that many streets and that far. But when you're carrying that much baggage, you know, a wiser mind prevailed and we ended up getting a cab. But you could imagine perhaps how we looked checking at our motel, all of our luggage. But if we had turned and seen someone really with not a bag at all, but perhaps a really small bag, a bag that's even smaller than a lady's purse, a bag that you couldn't put a single change of clothes in, you know, nothing was really in it, it looked like. If a person wants to check into a hotel with that much, you think, well, what's he doing? Now, where's his bags? He can't be here and see the town if he doesn't have any luggage with him. Well, I, I think the sentiment right there is something that we find in 1 Corinthians 1. This is uh, the portion where Paul is talking about the fact that he has been sent by God not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. We see that in verse 17. And we talked about that last week in the end of verse 17, which talked about adding to the gospel, adding cleverness in speech. And when you do that, you essentially gut the gospel. When you doctor the gospel up, the gospel becomes empty. When you preach a gospel that is doctored up, it's a gospel that does not convert. There may be many people who profess to become Christians. It may be that many people begin to attend church. But when that kind of gospel is preached, they're not going to go to heaven one day when they die. So we move from that situation to what follows in verse 18. And kind of where we'd be left is where Christendom is. We have a large mixture of the goats and the sheep. And we might think, why is it that the churches aren't purer? Why aren't churches made up of only truly Christian people? Well, indeed, it's because people have preached an empty gospel that doesn't save. But then we have to ask ourselves the question, why is it that someone would preach an empty gospel? And the answer to that comes up in verse 18. So let's look at verse 18, or 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Now that's the first reaction. We'll find the next reaction next week. But I just want to consider three basic questions tonight. The first is, what's the matter under consideration? Which is the word of the cross. That is to say, the word is the preaching about the cross. It's the words that are said, and it's the words that make up the content of the gospel. It has to do with, as we've talked about many, many times now, 
has to do with the news of the historical event of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the significance of those events. We know that Jesus died as a criminal, but he was not a criminal because he did not sin. He had not done anything wrong. Yet he died, and the gospel tells us that he died for sin and in the place of sinners. And that gospel is spoken of Christ crucified. And that gospel is altogether different from what came in chapter 1, verse 17. In 118, we have the word of the cross. In 117, we have words of wisdom, words that are clever. And there is a contrast between these two, and they're not the same. They're supposed to be contrasted. Because in true gospel preaching, there will be the inclusion of the cross of Christ. And that's what Paul preached. He preached Christ crucified. Now, from that preaching of the gospel, we move to the, the idea of, well, how do people respond? What is the effect of gospel preaching? And the first one we see is that the word of the cross is folly. You see, how do some people assess the preaching of the gospel? Well, they consider it to be folly. It's a mental assessment of what they've heard. It's their evaluation that what's been said really doesn't make sense. It's silly. And beyond that, it's not only unsatisfying, it's actually distasteful. And we come into this idea of evaluation every single day around the dinner table. Someone makes a meal, and then other people have opinions of, well, it's good, it's okay, I don't like it, I hate it. You see, it's at the dinner table that we regularly make evaluations. And as we regularly tell our kids, we're not supposed to be gluttons. So we're not going to eat only the things we like to eat. We eat in order to live. Okay? But we have all been there when it comes to what it means to having someone turn their nose to a meal that they don't like. And so it is when the gospel is preached, these people turn their noses to it. They think it's foolish. Therefore, they reject it. And that rejection is actually part of God's plan. Look at verse 19. For it is written, here's the explanation, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. But I have to ask myself, they, the text says that the word of the cross is folly. And I have to think, well, what is it about the gospel that some people consider to be foolishness? And the very fact that we have to ask that question shows that we don't believe that. You and I don't believe that, and that's a wonderful gift of God, that God has changed our hearts so much so that we look at the gospel and we respond to the gospel in a different way. But to answer the question, what is the folly of the gospel, let me ask the question. Is the gospel foolish because it's something of God? In chapter 2, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Because they are, here's the word, folly to him. It's the same word. And he is un, he's not able to understand them because he's spiritually discerned. So the point is, he can't see the value in the gospel. He has no appetite for it. It's like if you were visiting another country and you were walking through the market and you saw all the produce in the bins and you looked at it and you thought to yourself, I don't even know what that is. So you pass on by it. Because you have no appetite for it because you cannot understand what it is. Because you're not familiar. So it is, perhaps. Is the gospel something that's of God and people just can't understand it because they're sinners? 
Where is the gospel foolishness? Secondly, because it implies that people are sinners. You see, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. That implies, then, that we're sinners. So is it that people don't like the gospel, they don't respond to the gospel because they don't like being told that they're actually less than how they think themselves to be? People don't like being told they're not as good as they think they are. Now, it's to be technical. It's not the gospel that calls people sinners. It's the, the law being applied that shows the sinfulness of man. But indeed, the, the gospel is given in light of the law and given in light of the fact that people are sinners and have fallen short of God's glory. But the question, I guess, is, is the gospel folly because people just can't understand it because it's a God thing from God? Or is the gospel folly because it shows that people are sinners? I think there's another reason. And that is to say, is the gospel foolishness because it points to Christ crucified? You know, when we think of the cross of Christ, we have songs that we sing. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And we, in so many ways, we talk about cherishing the cross and clinging to the cross. Even though we confess in that song that the cross is the um, emblem of suffering and shame. And I think sometimes that's what we miss. That's what we too quickly run past. The cross is a horrific means of execution. I mean, we think of the execution, we think of something like the electric chair. And that's just a horrific idea. But the idea of a execution by means of crucifixion. That is truly horrific. And we think only a low life would be crucified on a cross like that. And that's what the Greeks would have thought. That's what the Romans would have thought. Now the point then is, in the gospel, we recommend Jesus Christ crucified to people. And someone would have to think, how is it that you're recommending to me someone who's been crucified? They would think, Jesus was a condemned man, so how can he save me when he couldn't save himself? How can I trust that his death is going to bring me eternal life? And they look at that and they think, that's foolish. So when it comes to what are they objecting to, it is the cross of the gospel that is the folly of the gospel. I think that's the case because we find the cross in verse 17. We find the cross in verse 18. We find the cross in verse 23. We find it in chapter 2, verse 2, and many times afterward. It is the cross of Christ that people object to. Who are the people who object? My third point this evening. Those who are perishing, verse 18 says. And to perish is to be ruined, to be destroyed. It's a description of a process that is already underway. It's not simply an ultimate destination. When it talks about those who are perishing, it's not trying to say those who are going to hell one day. It's talking about those who are already sliding downward to hell right now. Those who are perishing. Well, why are they perishing? A good cross-reference to your margin would be 2 Thessalonians 2.10. says, those who are perishing because... They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They're perishing because they find the gospel to be foolish and therefore they reject it. I can't believe that. That's nonsense. Now, I began this evening by talking about my 10th anniversary in the city and the fact of 
how humorous we must have looked lugging around a couple big suitcases and checking into the hotel. That was true, but seeing a man with a very small bag checking in, that's fictitious. I bring that up to say, if there were a man with a very small bag and you ask him, where's your luggage? If he pulls out of that bag an old lamp and says, you know what, I have this lamp and the genie inside will give me whatever I need, so I'm all set. If he were to say that, we would say, that's silly. What are you doing? And many times, most of the time, that's how the world thinks of believers. That's what they think of the preaching of the cross. Instead of thinking, let's trust in a crucified Christ, they say, well, let's do a lot of good works. Let's, have, let's champion a lot of good causes. Let's pursue things that are good and wise. Because when they look at Christ, they think, that's so weak. Because Christ was crucified. How can we trust in someone who died? so that we can have life. You see, the cross of Christ, that's the folly that people object to. But as we'll see next week, it is the cross that when we are saved by God's grace, we delight in. Father, thank you for the moments we have together. Help us to realize uh, that you, in your wisdom, set the cross before Christ, and through it, you would upend the wisdom of the world. So, Father, even though this is folly, we realize that you had a higher wisdom that you had in mind, and you wanted to shame the things of man and exalt yourself. And, Father, we are so thankful that by your grace we can see that. Father, we pray for those who their understanding is still veiled, and, Lord, they don't understand the gospel of Christ and how much they need that, how it's the only way for there to be forgiveness of sins. Father, we pray that you'd work in their hearts. There are some of our family members that we pray for in particular, our community members, folks who would rather believe a gospel and a Christianity that really doesn't have a cross and so many times wouldn't even have Christ or God himself in it. That would be so much better. Father, help us to, as Paul did, plainly present the gospel, including Christ and the cross, and to do so even though some will respond that that's folly. And Father, we pray that you'll encourage us to continue to give this gospel in Jesus' name. Amen.